Amen, and thank you all for leading us in worship this morning. And indeed, we do hope and pray that our Savior, like a shepherd, would lead us, lead us as a people, and lead us now as we look at His words, His words found in the Bible for us. would invite you to open up a Bible and look with me at Genesis chapter 18. So we allow Genesis chapter 18 to be our, our guide for what we believe God has for us this morning. Anytime a convicted felon stands before a judge for sentencing, he or she hopes to encounter a judge who is guided by truth, a judge who is guided by reason and guided by fairness. And although I've never had to stand before a judge and certainly hope I never do, I do remember a number of occasions in elementary school having to stand before the school principal, and give an account for my actions. Anybody else uh, that can relate to that? Uh, Perhaps a few of you, maybe a few more than would admit it. If not, then uh, you may well have been a teacher's pet. But for an elementary age student, there is perhaps nothing more fearful than having to give an account before the school principal, far more alarming than anybody else you may have to face. Later occasions, I do... Also remember having to give an account of my driving practices before a local police officer. If you've ever had to face someone with authority over you, then you know the feeling of hoping that they will regard you with justice and with mercy. And if your experiences are anything like mine, then you are hoping that mercy will overshadow justice just a little bit. One image that we find in Scripture, one image that we find in the Bible about God is the image of God as a judge, the creator of all life who is perfect in every single way. God's character leads him to evaluate the attitudes and the thoughts and the actions of his creatures, of those he has made. God is the judge of the earth and we know from his word that he is a just judge. Because his word teaches us that God will preserve the righteous when he destroys the wicked. The Bible communicates, the Bible makes clear, the Bible teaches that God is a just judge, a judge who will preserve, who will spare the righteous when he destroys the wicked. He will not punish anyone unfairly. He is not out to get anyone for something they didn't do. In fact, though he is just... His mercy often leads him to delay carrying out due judgment. Our passage of scripture for this morning, Genesis chapter 18, beginning in verse 16, reminds us that God is a just judge, a judge who will spare the righteous when he destroys the wicked. Let me invite you to open up God's word with me, to look with me at his words as we seek to allow God to speak to us and to teach us and to show us what it means that He is a just and almighty judge and how we can more faithfully follow after Him. Let's bow and ask God to guide our time together. Father, we do thank You for the opportunity once again to join with Your people in looking at Your Word. Lord, we desire to hear from You now. We desire for You to speak to us, speak to us through Your Word. Lord, we pray that Your truth would be clear. Pray that your spirit would open our eyes, that, that we would learn more about who you are and who we are in light of who you are and how we ought to respond as your people. 
And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Today we do continue our study in Genesis, our time in Genesis, but under a new heading, a new series uh, title, and that's Gospel Threads, as we trace various themes in Genesis that are directly connected to the Gospel. And today that is the theme of God's justice. So look with me now at Genesis chapter 18, beginning in verse 16. And remember that this comes right after what we looked at together last week when three visitors showed up at Abraham's tent. And Abraham recognized that they were his superiors. He recognized that God had shown up through these visitors and began to work with his wife Sarah to prepare an elaborate meal for them before God then made uh, the promise that we had been waiting on, the promise that this couple had been waiting on, the promise of the child, the covenant child, Isaac, who though Abraham was 99 at the time and his wife Sarah was 89, both well past the age of childbearing, God had promised a son, Isaac, within the next year. Genesis chapter 18, beginning in verse 16, God's word reads this way. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children in the way, and children in his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Verse 20, then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Abraham says to God, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous and the wicked with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And Abraham spoke up again, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him, what if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? God answered, I will not do it if I find 30. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there. He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? God answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. So here we read about the Lord continuing his conversation with Abraham Here we get a window in verses 17 through 19 of God's rationale, God's reasoning, God's thinking for cluing in Abraham on on his plans, his plans of judgment for the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Because God had great plans for Abraham as one who would be the father of a great nation, as one who would be our spiritual ancestor in the faith, the father of all God's people. God thought it important to share with Abraham what he was planning to do. Ultimately, I think it's an example for Abraham, explaining to Abraham why these two cities would soon be gone for their wickedness. Also, instructing, showing by example, by comparison, how the people of God were not to act as they sought to walk with the Lord. And the truth is that the Lord didn't just reveal his plans to Abraham. The Lord reveals his righteous plans to his people. God is a God who makes his ways known. He reveals his righteous plans, his good plans, his perfect plans to his people. He does not experience the temptation that is known by many political leaders and others who are often in the spotlight to communicate or to act in secret, to act in seclusion on various occasions for fear of being found out. He has nothing to be ashamed of. God has absolutely nothing to hide. His goodness and his Justice and His mercy are demonstrated through His plans and through His ways, through His practices. And God's plans and practices are often revealed to the righteous, to, that is, to those who are in right relationship with Him, who have entered into a right relationship with their Maker through faith in Him. The God that we serve, the God that we gather in the name of this morning, the God of the Bible, the one and only true God, is a God who has made himself known and a God who has made his ways known. He has revealed himself generally through his creation. We read about that in Scripture, that the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the works of his hands, Psalm 19. And God has also revealed himself more specifically through his word, both his written word which is the Bible, and the incarnated Word, Son of God, God in the flesh, the fullness of God coming to earth, embodied in the God-man, Jesus Christ. John wrote in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And God's plans involve judgment. His plans involve judging wickedness. Judging sin, judging rebellion. This is part of who God is. This is part of His character as a perfect, righteous, holy God who is unlike anyone or anything else. How many times have many of you as an adult witnessed a child do something wrong and you just sort of looked the other way because you didn't want to have to deal with it at the time? God never does that. Because he sees all and he knows all, he cannot pretend to not know what's going on. He is a judge who holds his creatures accountable to him. He doesn't judge because he's on a power trip, because he loves to rule with an iron fist. No, he judges because his character requires him to judge. He is the judge who desires for his judgments and his ways to be understood by his creatures. The Lord desires his people to understand His decisions. The Lord desires us as His people, people of faith, to understand His righteous ways, His righteous decisions. Though He is the sovereign creator and sustainer of the universe, of life, He doesn't operate in seclusion. He doesn't 
operate in a vacuum, so to speak, just as he gave an explanation for his ways to, to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 18, he has given us an explanation of who he is and what he does and what he's about in his written word. The God of all creation has made himself known to us in order that we might understand him and know him and recognize our own shortcomings, our own failures in light of him, in light of, of who he is. And his word and his actions reveal that he is a just judge. The Lord's judgment is just. Always. Look back at what he said in Genesis chapter 18, verses 20 and 21. He said to Abraham, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not says, then I will know. The truth is that the Lord doesn't really have to visit us in order to know what is going on with us. Ever tried to hide something from God? Ever tried to hide an action or an experience or a conversation from God? Perhaps an attitude from God? Maybe you knew that God would not be pleased with a certain behavior, a certain conversation, certain acts, so you sort of try to outsmart God and keep it in your mind. Dwell on something or think on something that ultimately is not pleasing to Him. Well, nothing is hidden from God. He didn't have to go down and see what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah any more than He has to wake up in the morning. But already knew the extent of the wickedness in that region. Yet the language that's used here in Genesis chapter 18, anthropomorphic language, giving human actions and characteristics to God, go down and see, implies that His judgments are thorough. He's meticulous. He is complete. He gives careful attention to detail. Because He is just, He would not wrongfully punish or wrongfully accuse. His judgment's going to be based on full and total, complete and accurate information. So He sends these two men, two angels disguised as men, into the city to check things out. Have you ever been accused of something that you didn't do? You grew up with siblings, no doubt. There were many times in your house where you were both accusing and being accused of things that didn't represent the full truth, I'm sure. You don't ever have to worry about that with God, though. You don't have to worry that God is going to treat you unjustly or unfairly. You don't ever have to worry about a false accusation from God. Isn't that comforting? You don't have to worry about an unfair sentence from God for His judgments are just and He will preserve His people. He will preserve the righteous when He carries out His judgment on the wicked. No, Abraham knew the character of God. He knew that God was a just God and that His ways were always right. He entered into this conversation with God that sounds much like he's negotiating with God. And it's really intercession before God on behalf of the people of God. He didn't want those who were living in faith with God, who were characterized by obedience to God and following in the ways of God, to be treated just like those who were living as if God did not exist, totally ignoring who He was and His ways. And he believed that there must be righteous people in this city, this city of Sodom, including his own nephew Lot. So he appealed to God on the basis of God's character. 
on the basis of God's own justice and the intercessory prayers of Abraham on behalf of the people of Sodom are met with compassionate answers. Compassionate responses from the Lord implying to us, not only in this passage but elsewhere, throughout Scripture, we see that the Lord hears the prayers of His people for His people. The Lord God, the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, the one who holds the world in His hands, invites us to speak with Him. Invites us to talk with Him. Invites us to intercede on behalf of of others before Him. The Lord hears the prayers of His people for His people. Abraham approached God in humility, recognizing that God is a righteous and just judge. And in comparison, He, as a man, is nothing, he says, but dust and ashes. Yet he still approached God confidently, appealing to the very character of God, for he knew that God would not allow the righteous to be destroyed along with the wicked. And the same Lord that Abraham spoke with and prayed to and spoke with Abraham and spoke through His recorded written word is the same Lord that we gather in the name of today. And he remains a righteous judge who will preserve the righteous when he carries out his judgment on the wicked. The conclusion that Abraham saw that the Lord reached in his conversation, examination of these two wicked cities is that there weren't even ten righteous people in those cities. And the Lord would destroy those cities very soon. And in doing so, He would still remain true to His own character, sparing the few righteous who were there. Church, God is a just judge. A judge who who will judge the earth, but in His judgment, He will preserve the righteous. And as people who want to be guided by the truths of God's Word, as people who claim that the Bible is our source of authority, it's what God has given us that we might know Him and know about Him and know about ourselves in light of who He is. As people who want to be guided by the truths of God's Word and guided by the truths of of this very passage in Genesis chapter 18, I want us to begin to think about ways that we can connect the truths found here with our own spiritual journeys. I want to I'm going to leave you with just a few starting points. Firstly, let's allow God's Word to shape our view of His character. Allow God's Word to shape your view of His character, your view of who He is. His spoken words to His servant Abraham and His written Word found in Scripture convey who He is and what He is like. Let's not allow personal experiences, let's not allow personal feelings. Let's not allow the present cultural mood to be the primary voice and influence in what we believe about who God is. But let's be shaped by, by what His Word says, for His Word is true. His Word is timeless. His Word is unchanging. Let's allow God's Word to shape our view of His character. And secondly, let's praise the sovereign judge. Praise the sovereign judge. God rules and God reigns as the one who holds all things together, and as the only one who has the right and the responsibility to judge all, as the almighty 
eternal just judge of the earth. He is worthy of our praise. So let's praise him. Let's praise the sovereign judge. He is worthy of our praise today on this Sunday morning that we've come together with his people in his name. And he is just as worthy of our praise as we go in just a few minutes. And he is just as worthy of our praise tomorrow morning when we wake up. So let's praise the sovereign judge, the one who holds the world in his hands, the one who sits on the throne always. Praise him. Thirdly, let's seek justice in the world. Seek justice in the world. God tells his people in his word. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. God has displayed and is displaying his good and his just and his merciful character that he desires for us as his people to, to mimic, to follow his example. And his justice ought to compel us as followers of him, as faithful people, to pursue justice in the world. Next, we see here that Abraham's conversation with God in Genesis chapter 18 ought to encourage us to intercede on behalf of the righteous. Intercede on behalf of the righteous. We are invited privilege to pray on behalf of God's people to the sovereign one who is good and merciful and just and who loves hearing from his children. Let's intercede on behalf of the righteous. In addition, let's thank God for his justice. Let's thank God that his character shows us that he is a just God and he is a merciful God. Let's thank God that he is not a tyrannical ruler or an oppressive judge, but he is a just judge who never wrongfully convicts a criminal. In fact, he is a God who is so good and so loving and so compassionate that he has found a way to remain true to justice and at the same time to exonerate, to absolve, to acquit, to forgive those who are guilty of such heinous crimes that they are deserving of The death penalty. Believe it or not, God has provided a way to free the worst of criminals. People who have missed the mark, who have fallen short of the standard, people who have rebelled, people who have disobeyed the requirement of the eternal, sovereign, matchless creator of the universe in his justice and in his mercy. God has done something so great, so incredible, so unbelievable that no mere human judge would ever consider doing, and that is to take the death penalty himself that was due those who were awaiting his judgment. Folks, the reality is that those who were found righteous in Abraham's day are really no different from those who were found righteous in our day. They weren't found righteous in God's eyes based on anything they had done any more than you and I are found righteous in God's eyes based on what we have done. Yet God has provided a way for rebellious, self-centered, proud, Sinful people like you and like me to be right in his eyes through faith in who he is and the promises that he has made ultimately through faith in his own son, Jesus Christ, who has come to us to rescue us from wickedness and to transform us from guilty to innocent by taking the condition and the penalty that we deserve. The Bible says very clearly, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person, past, present, future, has sinned and missed the mark of God's holy perfection. Fallen short of the standard. And the same passage of scripture tells us in verse 20, 
4, that all are justified, declared right, declared innocent in his eyes, freely by his grace, undeserved kindness and mercy through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ. The Bible tells us it's a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. And he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. And don't miss this. So as to be just and at the same time to be the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Church, through Jesus, God has provided a way to judge our sin. Not to ignore it. Not to overlook it. Not to remove it, but to pay the penalty for our sin and to justify, that is to declare innocent, those who have faith in Jesus. And if Jesus is the object of your faith, then you ought to thank God for your justification. Thank God joyfully for the fact that as a just and righteous judge, He has provided a way for you and for me to be right before Him and He deserves great thanks for from us for it. God's justice and his mercy coalesce at the cross of Jesus Christ. They meet at the cross of Christ. And this morning we come together once again to celebrate the depth of God's love for us that was displayed through the gospel of Jesus. So in just a moment, we're going to pause. We're going to stand and we're going to sing about the depth of God's love for us as displayed, as carried out in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let's sing as a people who know that forgiveness, who know that justification, who have experienced the great grace and mercy of God. This morning, this will serve as our regular response times. Know that I'm available. Perhaps God has opened your eyes to a truth this morning about who you are in His eyes. Know that I would love to speak to you about that. Know that this is a time for public decision before the life of the church. But Let's pray and then let's stand and sing together. Father, we are grateful for today. We are grateful for another opportunity to dwell on the cross of Jesus Christ. Another opportunity to be reminded of the gospel of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that though we are deserving of your judgment, You have shown yourself to be a merciful God, a God who is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You have rescued us from sin and the penalty of sin. Lord, open our eyes to faith in you that we might live and walk as people who have been transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, hear our praise now as we sing to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things.